0: Hi, I'm Alyssa Milano, and this is Sorry Not Sorry. I am so excited for today's guest. Malcolm Nance is a globally renowned expert on terrorism, extremism, and insurgency, and a multiple New York Times best-selling author. A 34-year Arabic-speaking veteran of the U.S. intelligence community's Combating Terrorism program, he is considered one of the great African Americans in espionage by the International Spy Museum. He is a counterterrorism analyst for NBC News and MSNBC, and if that wasn't enough, he's just published a new book titled "They Want to Kill Americans: The Militias, Terrorists, and Deranged Ideology of the Trump Insurgency."
1: Give me a name. Give me a name. White supremacist and, what, who would and would right. Like White supremacist and right. Proud, Proud, boy. Boy. Proud boys. Stand back and stand by. There are growing concerns about violence and intimidation, particularly on or after Election Day. The Armed Conflict Location and Event Data Project says that there is a risk. They sympathized with armed right-wing militia groups. These groups are still active, gaining members online. Honing their combat skills in training camps The FBI says January's riot at the Capitol Was a turning point for the conspiracy movement QAnon With some followers dropping out Disappointed that the
2: promises of the person behind it Known as Q Haven't come to pass But others, the FBI says May become so frustrated They turn more to violence I'm Malcolm Nance And I'm fighting to defend democracy On both the eastern wall And the western flank here in the United States Sorry, not sorry
0: Malcolm, you've had quite a few quiet and restful months. We have a lot to get to. But before we dive in, tell our listeners a little bit about who you are and what you've been up to.
2: For those who don't know me, I'm Malcolm Nance. I'm a former U.S. Naval Intelligence Officer, actually senior enlisted cryptologist. I guess I'm an expert in counterterrorism. Intelligence, national security, on-air analyst for MSNBC, on-air contributor for seven years. Uh, Five times New York Times bestselling author. And now a Ukrainian Army Legionnaire with the International Legion.
0: We're going to come back to that because we have to talk about that. But first, I want to talk about your new book, They Want to Kill Americans. Tell us about the book and why you decided to write it.
2: Yeah, I started writing this book in August of 2020. And what I had noticed during the uh, summer of George Floyd at the protests that were coming out, I had already been monitoring right-wing extremists. And I noticed there was a transformation in the construction of the kind of armed protesters that were coming out. After Charlottesville, two years earlier, there were the Proud Boys. You had all of these Neo-Nazis, ex-Klansmen, state militias, states' rights, three percenter guys who would come out there and really came out to fight and have this armed cotillion, which announced the coming out of the alt-right. And they got shamed, really, they got shamed by the nation when they found out that Donald Trump was pretty much supporting these people with his, you know, there are good people on both sides, comment. Fine, very fine people on both sides, which there weren't. One side was Nazis and Klan supporters, and the other side were normal Americans. Then we saw them disappear. And on occasion, you would see the Proud Boys would have a street fight. Three percent militia would be marching somewhere. But by the time we got to the summer of George Floyd, they had all but disappeared in name. And what we saw was very large armed protests that were breaking out with people that weren't 3% militia, that weren't Proud Boys. Kyle Rittenhouse, for example, he was not part of any militia movement. He was part of a general call to just pretty much guys with guns. He wasn't part of the Boogaloo Boys militia. He did this call that was going around in right-wing circles to bring your AR-15 rifle to counter Antifa and Black Lives Matter and to pretty much come and defend places, like in the case of the car dealership he was supposedly protecting, places where no one had invited him. And they took this upon themselves, and the police looked at them as friendlies. And then he killed two people, wounded a third, and then was acquitted in a jury of his peers of having murdered anyone. Self-defense. And I saw there was a transformation going on. By summer of 2020, by August of 2020, the named militias and resistance members and people who were against liberalism and were taking up arms were about one in every 10 of the people who were out with weapons protesting. So we weren't looking for 200 Proud Boys at some of these protests. We would see five or six Proud Boys and 200 average Trump-supporting armed people. Coming out in part of their shooting range groups, coming out as patriot groups that spontaneously started. And I saw this and I said, this is a transformation. They've moved from our militias to being really men with rifles who were all there for one purpose Trump supporters. And they were seeing themselves as part of the Trump diaspora. And they were coming together as a Trump army, unwritten, unspoken, except amongst themselves. And that's when I came up with the title, Titus, T-I-T-U-S, the Trump insurgency in the United States. I saw that there was a massive shift in the type and quality and number of people that were now carrying firearms. And why they were carrying it was for one reason only, the love of Donald Trump. Restore America to what they thought America was. Not what it is, not what it's been, but an imaginary fever dream idea. And the George Floyd summer had incited their belief that America was on fire, was being destroyed end to end. They'd see the rioting in Seattle and somehow think that this was happening in Cleveland when it wasn't. When you hear these Trump supporters, Talk about the insurrection on January 6th. They come back to you with Antifa and Black Lives Matter cost $1.3 billion. And you start thinking, what fever dream world are you living in where you see the United States on fire from end to end? And I realized I need to document this because I think these people have transformed away from militiamen into an armed movement of average citizens with guns. That is
0: terrifying.
2: It is terrifying. And they have one motivating belief, that Donald Trump is their tribal leader, and anyone who is not part of their tribe is the enemy. But I'm not just running against Joe Biden, I'm running against the left-wing mob and the left-wing media, the big tech giants, and I'm also running against the rhinos. Do you know what a rhino is? A rhino may be the lowest form of human life.
0: You mentioned January 6th, and we tend to talk about January 6th as an event that happened. We never talk about the culmination of years or maybe even decades that led to that moment. We can look back, for example, to the Oklahoma City bombing or Ruby Ridge or Waco and see some of the many predecessors to what happened. Can you just Give us a little bit of the history of how we got to where we are today.
2: What's interesting about where we are today is almost, it's not a culmination of a lot of conspiracy theories. It's not like all of these armed groups have been moving in this direction consistently for years. The heyday of the American militia movement prior to today, prior to the insurrection, was the mid-1980s and you know most people never heard about the terrorist groups other than Timothy McVeigh and the Oklahoma City bombing even in places where they were having major gun battles right the leader of the terrorist group the order which by the way formed out of a novel written by William Pierce called the Turner Diaries and what Timothy McVeigh did in Oklahoma City was straight from the first paragraphs of the Turner Diaries and McVeigh did it because in William Pierce's novel, he was supposed to launch a race war by blowing up a major federal building. So McVeigh had in his head that would happen if he had carried out that terrorist attack. He thought cops would suddenly turn on black cops and start shooting them to death and that soldiers would break into their armories and start taking their weapons and start mass murdering black soldiers and then would have a white revolution in America. He thought that was what was going to happen that day. That was a succession of stories, fantasies that were all coming together in the 1960s, 70s, 80s. What's happening now is very different and much more dangerous. It's almost as if every major conspiracy theory of the 20th century, along with Southern Civil War revisionism, along with right-wing, neo-Nazi expansion in the post-World War II era in the United States, were all coming together in one giant ball of crazy under the QAnon conspiracy theory, but now armed to the teeth at a level that has never existed in American history. 1860, they might have had a higher proportion of weapons to the average citizen because they looted Union arsenals. What we're seeing here is a spontaneous internal insurgency. And January sixth, which I predicted by sixty-two days, I was on real time with Bill Maher on November sixth, two days after the election, and I said, "I said he was talking kumbaya." He was saying, now we need to try to understand the Trump voter. And I said, I got some bad news for you. This nation is heading into an insurgency, an armed insurgency, where paramilitaries, political parties, and individuals will bring us in a multi-year campaign of destabilization. And Bill caught on. He was like, you mean like Iraq? I go, well, like Saddam Hussein's Iraq after we invaded. What we're talking about here is the insurrection was the culmination of a conspiracy that had already started. I had seen those signs in August, started seeing more in October when people were saying on right-wing chats, go get weapons training, go get tactical training, start being prepared for the election. And I had said to my publisher, I had said, if Donald Trump wins this election, armed people in those Trump convoys will come out onto the streets. They will... How can I put it? Deputize themselves into being armed unofficial enforcers of Trump's will. do solemnly swear Do solemnly do swear, swear that I will support
1: and defend that I will support and defend the constitution of the United States the constitution, the constitution of the United States. States against all enemies foreign and domestic. and domestic against all enemies foreign and
0: domestic that
2: I will bear true faith and allegiance to the same that I will bear true faith and allegiance to the same and I take this obligation freely that I take this obligation freely
1: without any mental reservation without, without any as mental as as reservation. reservation the purpose of invasionsion or purpose of invasion
2: that I will well and faithfully. And that I will well and faithfully discharge the duties. Discharge the duties. Of the office of which I am about to enter. The office which I am about to enter. So help me God. Where we go one, we go
1: all. Where we go one, we go all. God bless America.
2: God bless America. And I said even worse. If they lose this election, they will see themselves as being beleaguered underground resistance guerrillas who will come out and start fighting what they view as the illegal government of the United States, and they will do it with the intent to restore Donald Trump. Interestingly enough, the contract for this book was signed on December 16th, right? Three, four weeks almost before the insurrection. I never knew the insurrection was coming. I just knew an explosion was coming. And all the signs were there that it was coming soon. And little did I know that, like I said, 60 some odd days after I had said on Bill Maher that the insurgency was coming, that it would literally explode on the Capitol Hill.
0: And I also think that the thing that's so dangerous and something that we've talked a lot about on this podcast is that for the first time, all of these domestic terrorism groups and these hate groups. They had an umbrella to find them in this QAnon, and they had the organizational tool to organize in the internet. So basically, it wasn't about the meeting in their grandmother's basement that they did under the covers. And the thing, I mean, I want to ask you so many questions, but one of the things, coming from your background and knowing how there were so many hints and signs that this was going to go down and people bought plane tickets and and all of this how did we allow January 6th to happen and once it was happening where was the national guard
2: i'm sitting here sighing because i was watching i was waiting for that rally on January 6th i had a team watching multiple live streams from the insurrectionists in real time and the first thing i noticed very quickly was that there was a very young small group of relatively young men, man, I would say in their 30s and younger, that had broken off from the rally and had come to the Western gates of the Capitol and were shouting at the cops. And these people were holding blue flags, you know, thin blue line, Blue Lives Matter signs, and were getting in their face. And then I realized something. I said, everyone's wearing body armor. Everyone's wearing helmets. Everyone's carrying backpacks. These are things the Park Service would never allow at any protest, ever. You could not get near a protest with the President of the United States. And then when the fighting broke out, the cops were literally face-to-face with people, right? And then they would just, bam, smash, lash out at the cops and start spraying bear spray in their faces and beating them with flagpoles. And I was like, whoa, this thing is really out of hand. I started telling my researchers. You know, as they closed on the Capitol, I need to know when they breached that building. And it was my daughter, God bless her, who was there. I put her on a live stream and I said, there's an American flag at the top of the steps of the Capitol. Let me know when it disappears, which means that the flag drooped and is going into the building. And not two minutes later, she goes, the flag is gone. I look up and sure enough, they're now in the building. Then I realized this is an armed takeover of the Citadel of Democracy. And this popped through my mind. How did they do it?
0: They did it in plain sight, right? I mean, it was all over the
2: Internet. But you have to understand they were camouflaged also. And the camouflage that they had that allowed them to close upon the police, to get in their face, to be treated with deference, to not be met with violence or gunfire was the color of their skin. their skin and their MAGA hats and their American flags were all false flags. They knew they were going there to do war that day to topple the United States government. They had been discussing it in groups amongst themselves for some times.
0: That's the part that drives me nuts, is much like these mass shooters all leave these manifestos behind. There were things that were written, Ben and I, who like we were not part of the intelligence community. We were like, something's going to go down because they were setting the stage for so long. They were setting the stage that the election was rigged before anyone started voting.
2: Actually, it was I think it was July 2019 was the first time Donald Trump said the election would be rigged.
1: Uh, Repeatedly now, uh, Donald Trump has said that this election will be rigged against him. Can you promise the American people that that this election will be conducted in a fair way?
2: It it is... uh, I I don't even really know where to start on answering this question. Uh, Of course the elections will not be rigged. What does that mean?
0: Okay, so if an actress in California could see the writing on the wall that he is calling his people to the Capitol, where were the people that could stop it?
2: The FBI famously dropped the ball, even though the FBI Norfolk, Virginia field office put out a warning saying they had been seeing signs that these people were organizing, communicating with each other, how to get to the house chambers, and most importantly, telling people how to fight, telling people. Bring flagpoles that are solid steel or solid iron so that you could use them as spears, so that you can use them as rams, so that you can beat people with them. Bring baseball bats or two-by-fours with your flags on them to disguise ram or a weapon. Don't bring guns, but that was sort of like with a wink and a nod. If you're authorized to bring guns, don't bring guns. And so the whole of it was designed to be done in plain sight. But they, the individual conspirators, the 40,000 people that came to that rally, they knew what they were coming for. They were communicating under the table that we are coming according to Donald Trump and others based on Michael Cohen on his podcast said Donald Trump speaks the language of the mafia boss. Boys, you know what to do. Well, he had been making calls for violence for years. he had been calling and saying, we're going to take our country back. You need to come to the Capitol on January 6th. It's going to be wild. They understand that speak, right? That double speak. So
0: how is it that we could see it coming and it still happened?
2: This reminds me of the tsunami in Thailand. Everybody's standing on the beach side and there's no tide. All the boats are lying flat on the sand. People who are educated know what's coming. That tide went away because there's a 200 foot wall of water that's now approaching. And I think that law enforcement again were completely duped by the fact that these were white Trump voters. And that they're going to come down, they're going to be loud and boisterous and yeehaw and then go home loving Donald Trump. What we're finding out now was there was a massive conspiracy that came right from Donald Trump through his chief of staff through some of his lawyers, these right-wing crazies that went down to all the armed, the militias and the gun groups and the individuals were all saying it was clear to all of them that they should come to overthrow the government. When they go to court, they go, Donald Trump ordered us. Donald Trump invited us in the Capitol, not knowing that the Capitol is actually an independent branch of government. They were ordered by their commander in chief.
0: As a side tangent, many of the states where Trump and Trumpism has its strongest support, lawmakers are suppressing voters of color, and they're using CRT as a dog whistle to stoke racial fear for political power. Will this drive generations of white supremacist violence?
2: Yeah, it not only will drive white supremacist violence, what you're looking at is the leading edge. The January 6th, was the boats lying on the shore. The tsunami has not yet come.
0: Oh, shit, Malcolm. Come on.
2: I know, I know. No, the insurrection was round one. When I said that we are in an insurgency, an insurgency isn't an event. It's a campaign of many events. It takes place on a political level. You have the Republican Party now has decided that they are not going to do any governance whatsoever. Their sole function is to overturn the government in any way, shape, form they can. For all these people who say Republican politicians know what they're doing. They're being sly and crafty and just nodding to the will of the people. No, these Republican politicians now are doing what they've always wanted to do, which is to rule over people. And they're willing to do it. Look, their base has just given them permission. Donald Trump has given them permission to be as ruthless be as obnoxious, to be as in your face and violent as they've always wanted to be. Just because they're country club Republicans, we found out from that recent Washington Post poll, the average Republican that funded Trump and that funded the insurrection were guys with a second beach house and a large boat, which is why you have Trump boat parades, right? $60,000 SUVs. This is not a poor insurrection. This is well-funded. And so The insurrection itself, look, we had a Supreme Court justice's wife help fund 65 buses to come there to overthrow the government of the United States.
1: The text between Justice Clarence Thomas's wife, her name is Virginia, conservative activist who goes by Jenny, and Trump chief of staff Mark Meadows, document her attempts to help guide President
2: Trump's strategy to overturn the 2020 election.
0: It really is just mind boggling
2: mind-boggling. I'm not a conspiracy theorist by any stretch of the imagination. I'm not going to say anything on this program that would even remotely appear to be close to a conspiracy theory. However, I do, and I'm an expert in identifying conspiracies, okay? And in this case, we are finding out the outlines of conspiracy. There are some unanswered questions, and I've said this on a few programs. Here's one that I've seen, heard almost no discussion of in the mainstream media. The day of Mike Pence's certification of the election, this is who were in the building. The line of secession after Donald Trump, Mike Pence as the number two person, Nancy Pelosi as the number three person, Chuck Grassley as the president of the Senate protest. What if all of them had been killed, injured, or incapacitated? Those positions aren't filled by automatic filling if the vice president's incapacitated. The Speaker of the House has to be elected by vote. The whip steps up into that job. President of the Senate pro temp is whoever is the senior person, but it still has to be voted on. If they had been incapacitated, injured, or killed, the only executive secession member would have been Donald Trump alone.
0: Holy shit, Malcolm.
2: Now, what if, and I'm just hypotheticking here, right, being hypothetical here, I want to know. Now I'm an intelligence professional. When I see the outlines of a CONspiracy, I need to ask all the hard questions. And here's a hard question. Did any person at any time ever in that entire group of co-conspirators that we're now investigating, did anyone ever say we could get rid of the line of secession to where Donald Trump becomes essentially a monarch? And then I want to point something out. You know, there was a Tom Clancy book called, what was it? Dead of Honor, where a Japanese pilot in a secret war between the United States and Japan flies an airplane into the capital during the State of the Union, kills everyone, and somehow Jack Ryan becomes president of the United States. And it's a very highly detailed book about the line of secession and how, as new president, Jack Ryan essentially does anything he wants, restructures the economy, gets rid of essentially everybody in the opposing parties. I can't help but believe since 9-11 actually modeled that book where somebody flew an airplane into the Capitol, that no one thinks like that. We have this saying in the military, C, Tom Clancy combat concept. It's where people try to mimic Tom Clancy novels. And it's a joke. And that's a real thing. It's a thing, but it's a joke where we say that's TCCC right there, that's not tactical combat casualty care, that's Tom Clancy combat concepts. But in a conspiracy where people are going to jail, where the president of the United States waited 187 minutes watching carefully on a television, I want to know, and I think it needs to be asked, and people need to be grilled, Did the president of the United States believe that building would be taken over and turned over to him, that he would have looked up and saw victory flags and the Trump flag raised over the Capitol and his flag, the American flag taken down, and they would have said, we have the ballots, we have stopped the vote, Donald Trump is now the new president, and he would have gotten into his Secret Service vehicle ordered them to take him to the Capitol and the seas would have parted right in front of him of all those insurrectionists. And he would have walked into the building with his secret service detail and down into the well of the house and declared himself president. Don't tell me that wasn't considered because you know what? All of the signs that was going to happen are there. And anyone that lies about this needs to be prosecuted. But Donald Trump himself, his chief of staff, his Secret Service detail head, everyone needs to be questioned about what did he intend to do if that building was taken? Did he intend to say, everybody go home? Or did he intend to go over there and proclaim himself, have himself coronated, new president and say, the people have spoken. Oh, my God. Look, as a professional intelligence officer, i got to think of all the worst-case scenarios. And I don't usually think of crazy conspiracy theories like this unless all the indicators of a crazy conspiracy are there. All of the indicators of a crazy conspiracy are there. All of them.
0: But Malcolm, where was the National Guard? Am I crazy to just feel like that should have been a thing?
2: Yeah, the National Guard, once again, the camouflage of white skin and MAGA hats and American flags, led the Pentagon, including Michael Flynn's brother, which is, I really think that's an aspect of this investigation that requires the Pentagon's IG and an independent congressional inquiry as to whether there were members of the armed forces of the United States who may have been facilitating the takeover of that building. In 2020, a plot to kidnap a governor in Michigan,
1: a plan to bomb a Black Lives Matter protest in Nevada, and a number of ambush-style attacks against police in California had one thing in common. Active duty or former military members are all facing charges connected to these cases and have pleaded not guilty.
0: People have been talking about the concern about white supremacists and militias, you know, in the military for a long time.
2: Did Michael Flynn and his brother ever communicate? Ever? Not did they communicate about this specific thing. I want to know whenever they talked. I want to know if they talked and then Michael Flynn made calls to other co-conspirators. Look, I worked at the National Security Agency. I am a master of listening to people's phone calls. And I don't even have to hear your phone call to know that you had a phone call with someone else and discuss some of the things that are elements of your secondary phone call. So, Michael Flynn, we need to take his world apart. Because if it's a real CON spiracy, and it turns out it was deeper than this, and this is where I think the January 6th committee is ill-equipped. I think they're going to write a brilliant report. I think what they've done for the United States is document this wonderfully. But if there are not criminal charges, if the Justice Department does not literally use the authority of the FBI to start bringing people in and arresting them and charging them with lying to a federal agent, and the courts don't start handing out, hammering fines and court sentences, then they'll think the senior conspirators will be like, we're above the law. We can get away with anything. And those questions won't be answered. Someone knows the answer to some of those questions. It might be one of the Navy chiefs who is one of the servants at the White House. It might be a Marine Corps guard who feels that it was his job to keep his mouth shut on what he heard. He may have heard them say, we're going to take that building and we're going to run the government.
0: Do we know that's not happening right now?
2: You don't know, because I haven't seen anything about interviewing every person in the White House staff, every person in the Secret Service. That place needs to be going through with a fine tooth comb and a vacuum.
0: And you know what? There was political violence before January 6th from Trump supporters, in particular the foiled kidnapping of Governor Whitmer in Michigan. So do you think that this is something we can expect more of? Is more violence coming?
2: Yeah, more violence is definitely coming. That's without any question. Look at all these incel right-wing shooters. If you stack them up end-on-end, there's well over a dozen major mass murders, right? A couple of hundred victims. Yeah, it's coming, but you have to understand that these guys like the Evalde shooter, the El Paso shooter, the Poway shooter, the shooter out in Buffalo, they are, how can I put it? They are the driftwood. They are the leaf that is floating before your eyes, but you're ignoring the stream that's carrying them. They are the thing that catches your attention, but there is a stream of violent rhetoric, violent talk, violent belief. Discussions in bars, discussions in shooting ranges, tactical patches, you know. Is the stream QAnon? The stream is partially QAnon. And this is where I write an entire chapter about how the Republican Party tried to harness QAnon's energy, but for a long while there didn't want their crazy. And then by summer of 2020, the crazy just took over. When Donald Trump made that statement about, oh, QAnon, I don't know who they are, but I heard they really like me. They're against child molesters or something like that. What's not to hate? That was not even a wink and a nod. That was a, you are part of my group.
0: Also stand back and stand by.
2: Yeah, that was for the Proud Boys. And that was pretty much for everyone. Right. Donald Trump wink and a nod, essentially ordering things. It's utterly amazing. I I personally cannot understand how this was allowed to be gotten away with. But here's why. They're white. They're middle class Trump voters. They're good old guys. They who want to kill Americans, as in the title of my book, they are your neighbors. And you can't tell them apart. You can't tell the pizza delivery guy apart from the state trooper, apart from the guy who does your plumbing, apart from the person who bakes cookies or your church pastor in some instances. And you can't say, oh, well, most of those people are white. There are Black people in this group. There are Latinos in these groups. They're overwhelmingly white and they are overwhelmingly male and their wives overwhelmingly support this agenda, too. And that's the only thing that we can actually say here that is quantifiable from the 65 percent of people that don't support Donald Trump. We are just Americans trying to maintain the true America. One of the subplots of the January 6th committee
0: hearings is whether it might tempt Republicans to try to turn the page on Trump in 2024.
1: Just like everyone else in our country, he is responsible for his own actions and his own choices.
0: Not necessarily completely disown him, but maybe decide to move forward with somebody else. While the percentage of Republicans who want Trump to run again in 2024 might be
2: a little bit lower than some people realize, they believe their version of America. However, crazy and addled it is in their head. White only, white dominant, put down women, put down minorities, all the benefits come to them, screw all the rest of you because you're all takers. That version of America is the one they will kill for now. Well, they already have. They have already been killing over this, and they attempt to overthrow government to get that fantasy version.
0: Very important question. Okay, we have these violent, white supremacists they're everywhere as you have stated as your book so eloquently states they're everywhere in the country they are armed they are ready to undertake more violence how the fuck do we get out from under this
2: yeah this is the difficult part
0: this is the difficult part like it's all pretty
2: hard I know, and this is the part you're not going to like very much. People say, Malcolm, you're hyperbolic. You're over the top. No, this book's already been written. There is a version of this book that's been written at MI6 by the foreign ministry in London. And it's been sent up to the prime minister and the queen that the United States is now under siege by neo-Nazi, violent white supremacist Trump voters who are acting as a collective not individual in militiaman or in terrorist group, but as a Trump-loving collective that is willing to do violence and overthrow the government of the United States. That's already been written. French intelligence has written it. German intelligence has written it. The Finnish Foreign Ministry has written it. Trust me, this has already been written. They see what's going on here. BBC's already written this in general news reports. The rest of the world sees the crazy that's going on in the United States. And they're worried about the stability of this country. The people that don't seem to be able to comprehend the enormous quantity of risk here are the Americans themselves, particularly the American news media, which only sees things one little pinprick at a time, one little star in the constellation. In the US intelligence, we look for the universe one star at a time. The news media looks for One star at a time. If you don't look out from the God's eye view and see that there is a massive insurgency in the United States, you know, interesting, listen, I had right after it had been mischaracterized by some loser in the right wing, I think it was the Washington Examiner, had came out, and here was their headline MSNBC analyst calls for Americans to do violence. It's like, okay, that's some Orwellian doublespeak right there, right? And he said he took one sentence from an interview where I said, we may need to be prepared to fight this. But they took that as calls on Americans to fight their fellow citizens. The first guy who wrote the first post to it said, we have all the guns. What are they going to do about it? You just proved the point of my book, your mindset. You want this violence. What
0: happens if Trump is charged and arrested?
2: Well, I think another question here is not what happens if Trump is charged and arrested. What happens if Donald Trump has one hamburger too many and keels over? QAnon has already convinced at least 20 million or more Americans that Hillary Clinton eats and drinks the blood of children.
1: So March 4th, they're thinking that Donald Trump is going to come back and he's going to be the president. Um, Apparently, what they said is way back when... It was like 1871, Um, Inauguration Day used to happen on March 4th, and then Donald Trump will be back and he'll be inaugurated as either the 19th president of the United States Republic or the first president of some new something. They also think that there's
0: going to be this great financial reset, both in our country and around the world, where... Debts are just going to be forgiven, where if you have a mortgage, you don't owe on it anymore. It's just so ludicrous, <laughs> you know, to put it bluntly. I mean, just I
1: have still have family members that don't even believe that Joe Biden is president. Charlotte, is it true that one of your sisters does not today believe that Joe Biden is president? Yes, she she now she she tells her daughter that she thinks that she uh, The White House is set and that Biden isn't actually president.
2: All right. And that Jews, as many as 50 percent of Republicans believe that Jews control everything. Fifty seven percent of Republicans believe the insurrection was an act of patriotism. Not an attack on America, which means they are probably going to feel that they're going to have to do more acts of patriotism. One of the questions that you asked a little bit earlier is. What's it going to take? It will likely take one of these groups or a series of people or a mass of these individuals to conduct a mass murder in the United States and that the government, the police, the justice system will smash down on them so hard that for one instance, people will wake up and go, oh, did we do that? And I'm afraid of that. I'm terrified of that moment. And I don't mean 10 people. You're talking about a country that when a gunman killed 58 people in Las Vegas, but injured, shot 500 others, we didn't even blink. So it will take a terrorist group, another Timothy McVeigh. And let me tell you something, the way the Republicans talk today, Timothy McVeigh would be offered an internship at Marjorie's office.
0: That's exactly right.
2: He would be considered a hero because this fever is way bigger than at any time in American history. We are, I think, second only to 1860 in terms of Americans wanting to take action because they've been brainwashed. They've been brainwashed by the NRA to believe that their rifle was what the founding fathers wanted you to use to overthrow the government. That has never been said in American history till the 1970s. When a vice president of the NRA came up with that whole, your gun is designed to protect you from the government. Never been said. All right. The interpretation of the Second Amendment being that you are to have weapons to prepare a greater rights than your uterus and having a child. They have convinced this whole country of that. The NRA and the gun manufacturer. I'm a gun collector. All right. I've watched this with great care. I've watched the price of AR-15 ammunition go from $0.39 cents a bullet to $1.25 where it is now. It might be down to about $1.10. But as soon as they start talking gun control, it'll skyrocket up there. People have been hoarding ammunition for the last two years in quantities you could possibly imagine.
0: I don't want to imagine.
2: You don't want to, but it's true.
0: I've already taken up so much of your time, but I do want to speak briefly about your time in Ukraine and what you experienced there and what made you go. And are there other Americans fighting over there?
2: Sure. I'm a member of the Ukrainian Armed Forces. I'm a member of the International Legion, which is a foreign combat force that was organized by the Ministry of Defense. We are a battalion that uh, is under a Ukrainian Army Brigade Commander. We have a Ukrainian Army battalion commander and executive officer, number two officer. Our company commanders are Ukrainian, but the soldiers themselves, and there are hundreds and hundreds of Americans and British and Australian. And we have people who have combat experience who came in to lend their hand to fight the Russian aggression from 56 countries. You know, I'm in charge of the intelligence uh, at the battalion, but it's a frontline combat unit. We are not sitting in the rear with the gear. I get routinely attacked. By some of the biggest cowards in America. Ben Shapiro, Jack Posobiec, a guy who was kicked out of the US Navy because he was working with Russian intelligence right for Macron leaks. He helped distribute the hacked materials from Emmanuel Macron, which turned out to have been a trap set by French intelligence And the agency he was working under, the National Security Agency, kicked out, made your analysis officer. This guy routinely goes out and says, he's in the rear. He's in a five-star hotel. Okay, I'm eating camping food. This is the worst five-star hotel I've ever been in. Although Mountain House camping food is the most delicious food on this planet. So if you have to have camping food. So I am on a frontline unit. We take casualties. We lost uh, at least six people killed in the last two months from Russian bombardments. We do have hot contacts with the Russian we are there to defend the citizens of Ukraine. We are there to put our money where our mouth is. And we aren't there because we hate the people in front of us. And we do hate the people in front of us. Our line, it's all Russians on the other side of our line. But we're really there to protect the people that we love. Because I know, I don't know about you, but I'm sick. I'm sick to my stomach of seeing dead Ukrainian children. Unless, you, know, you know, I'm a widower. And I didn't go to Ukraine because I'm a widower. I went to Ukraine because I know now it's a wash in grief. Just a few days ago, I had tweeted out a photograph saying why we fight. A man's wife goes out to feed the cat. And a rocket kills her. He comes home. She's in a body bag and they're trying to put her in the ambulance. And he grabs her and he opens it up and he's talking to her and he's kissing her and he's kissing her hand, and his son is trying to assuage him, saying, Dad, she's dead, she's dead. And he's like, this is my wife. I have sat there in that bowl of grief, hating God, hating humanity, hating everything, holding my spouse's hand. But by God, my spouse went peacefully in a hospital. This man's wife went to feed the cat. And you know what the worst part of it was when they finally took her away? And he's laying there, and he's prostrate with unimaginable grief. The cat's back there behind him and dead.
0: What happens if Putin wins in Ukraine?
2: Nothing's going to happen if Putin wins in Ukraine because he's not going to win in Ukraine. He's actually losing. The first phase of the war was him being it wasn't even a it wasn't even a matchup. It was a slaughter. Russian forces were slaughtered in massive quantities. We used to call them javelin festivals, right? Every time their tanks would come down a highway, the orders were very simple. Don't attack the tanks, attack the fuel trucks. And so we just wiped out all their fuel supplies, then the tanks ran out, and then we hit them with every javelin missile we can muster. And we slaughtered Russian tanks. The Russian tanks litter the entire eastern and northern countryside. And that's why Russia abandoned the entire offensive in all of northern Ukraine. And I said this on air many times. They'll never take Kiev. Kiev is just too large a city for them to try to take. But now they're consolidating in the southeast and the south. They took Kherson province, part of Zaporizhzhia province, and they moved out the lines in Donetsk and Luhansk province from their 2014 lines. That isn't going to last. Russia has made their last big combat operation in Severodonetsk, the Severodonetsk salient that was there, that little bulge that the Ukrainians fell back on. And as President Zelensky said, they took two towns we're going to take back, but they lost thousands of soldiers doing it, and they can't get them back. They can't get the tanks back. The Russians think they're in a war of attrition. But now that we have the American M777 artillery pieces, which can outgun Russian artillery, the HIMARS and the M270 multiple rocket launch system, we are really starting to hurt them. Now, people think, why aren't you using them to bomb the front lines? Oh, well, we don't want to bomb the front lines. We're just going to destroy every ammunition dump in Ukraine. Which means when you're ready to defend against us, you won't have any missiles. You won't have rockets. Your soldiers are going to be on trucks in the rear trying to bring ammunition from Russia, which means they're going to be 1,000% vulnerable. And when you're a frontline soldier, you're going to have 60, 120 bullets, and that's it. Your artillery won't be able to fire because you won't have any shells. You won't have any charge bags, You won't have any powder. That's what we're doing. We're destroying their logistics chain. The entire world that they have of logistics is being wrecked. When that happens, then we're going to punch them right in the face. The old saying, what did Patton say? Hold them by the nose, which is what's going on right now in the Severedinets, now the Kremenchuk pocket. We're holding down 80% of the Russian army there. And then kick them in the pants, which is the offensive that was going on where we're starting down in the south, in Kyrgyzstan, where they don't have very many men. So the Russians could wake up to us breaking through their lines and destroying it.
0: My last question is, and I know like after this interview, your answer might be one thing. And usually I have an answer that comes back, but I don't even know how I feel. Like I feel like I need a Xanax right now. So, (laughs) So what gives you what gives you hope in all of this?
2: Well, I think blowing this whistle. This book just debuted. Right? In its first three or four days at number nine on the New York Times bestsellers list. And my goal is quite simple. I'm not worried about money. I gave away the advance. I donated most of it buying equipment and vehicles for the International Legion. They're keeping me alive. The purpose of this book is to get it to number one on the New York Times bestsellers list so that when you go into a bookstore or you look at Amazon, you're confronted that there are Americans who want to kill average Americans here and that they are unified and organized into an insurgency that could last the next generation.
0: Well, normally at this point of the interview, I say, well, Malcolm Nance, you give me hope, which is true. You do. But I think, you know, it's a little harder to say that after the hour conversation we've had right now.
2: Well, maybe it's time to fight. Maybe it's time for people to stand up.
0: I feel like I've stood up and fought to the best that I can, and I will keep doing so for your kids, for my kids, for everyone's kids. Thank you so much for your time and uh, your expertise, and I'm gonna go take my Xanax now.
1: In our hearing tonight, you saw an American president faced with a stark and unmistakable choice between right and wrong. There was no ambiguity, no nuance. Donald Trump made a purposeful choice to violate his oath of office, to ignore the ongoing violence against law enforcement, to threaten our constitutional order. There is no way to excuse that behavior. It was indefensible. And every American must consider this. Can a president who is willing to make the choices Donald Trump made during the violence of January 6th ever be trusted with any position of authority in our great nation again.
0: And this is the part of the podcast where I wrap things up and have something really sort of smart and sometimes witty to say, but honestly, there are no words. There are no words.